0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: The Biden administration has made electric vehicles a top priority. The administration wants half of all new vehicles sold to be electric by 2030. Some states like California are setting bolder targets, while some other states appear to be moving in the opposite direction. Last month, a bill was introduced in North Carolina that can only be described as, well, the most anti-electric car bill to date.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty wild bill. I'd be looking at it, if you read it, it almost, you'd think it was fiction or something at first.
2: That's Ryan Cornell. He's at Arizona State University's School of Sustainability. He's got a really cool title, Senior Global Future Scientist. Here's what he has to say about the North Carolina bill.
0: One thing it would do is it would make it so that if you're shopping at some place you're going to a restaurant and they provided chargers out front for people to plug in at it would need to show up on the receipt somewhere exactly your you know estimated how much that cost was to you the consumer from that you know charger that was out front it also would have it so that if you provide chargers you also need to provide gas stations, which seems pretty much you know, something that's not feasible. I, I don't know of any restaurants that would want to put in you know, a gas station out in front of it.
2: Electric vehicles are almost, almost mainstream. As battery technology advances and gets cheaper and the price of gas goes up, oof, the impediments like range anxiety and costs are beginning to disappear. Ryan argues that it makes more sense to own an electric vehicle now than ever before.
0: There are so many advantages to an electric vehicle. It's easier. You don't have to go to a gas station once a week. It's You start with a full charge. Uh, a lot of the impediments that prevented people from wanting to get an electric vehicle years ago are no longer there. And so if you're trying to push back and you're going to try to stymie things, and you're going to try to stop the electric vehicle, this type of antagonizing electric vehicles just for the sake of antagonizing them might be the most effective strategy.
2: According to Ryan, this North Carolina bill has one goal, to keep people from buying an electric car.
0: It really does kind of demonize the electric vehicle and that people are going to look at their receipts and see that line on there and think, oh, that's not something I like. I don't want to be paying more for someone else's car so they can plug in. This is something that's just purely there to you know, put obstacles in the way of electric vehicles.
2: Will electric vehicles be the latest flashpoint in America's culture wars? Now, there are some legislators in North Carolina who believe that electric vehicles are getting a free ride. But is the latest opposition enough to slow down a technology that seems destined to be the future of transportation? Today on the show, what's next? for electric vehicles. I'm Sonari Glinton filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and this is What Next? TBD, a show about technology power and how the future will be determined. Stick around. EVs are just still a very small fraction of auto sales. What's keeping these cars, if they're better, out of the hands of consumers?
0: I think it's, and this might seem like an oversimplification, but more and more people need to come in contact with them. You see these pockets of people, and I mean, it's probably a bad term to use in the midst of a pandemic, but there's a real like viral effect to electric vehicles. You see areas with electric vehicles, and you see more and more of them. The vast majority of people I know own electric vehicles. And I don't think that's anything extremely odd or unique about us, other than the fact that a few of us got electric cars and a few others got them and got them. And once you drive in the car and you start to see some of those advantages, the average cost of an EV is pretty similar to what the average cost of a car is today. People don't realize how easy they are to charge. Uh, and, And so there's a lot of misconceptions and just people haven't seen one. They haven't sat in one. And I think that when more and more people do that, that's when I think it's going to kind of just continue to escalate in terms of the number
2: of EVs you see on the road. I live in Los Angeles and I saw the gas here. There was a gas station where gas is $8 and it's a lot of money. How much of a driver of new EVs do you think that is?
0: I think it's going to be a driver and especially if it stays high. I think in the short run, people can kind of They'll push through, and they'll. It doesn't impact their buying of a vehicle as much. But as the amount of time drags on, that the prices are high, uh, it for sure is going to increase the demand for electric vehicles. You know, the unfortunate thing is that cars are tricky to get right now, and there is a a lot of demand for electric vehicles. So there might be that individual who's looking at the gas prices and think I'd really like to go out and buy an electric vehicle, and may not be able to get one. You know, that day. Hopefully they can. Maybe there's you know uh, the ability to, uh, but. I, I do think it's driving people in that
2: direction. I saw a study that was before gas prices went as high, and it showed that uh, there was a 40% savings in the cost of ownership with an electric vehicle. Will it really actually save me money? Because EVs seem to be really expensive over the course of time. Am I going to save money if I buy a more expensive car, But I don't have to fill it up with gas.
0: It's a tricky thing with a lot of decisions we make in that there are like the obvious costs and the less obvious costs, but they are just as real. And when you're buying a car, sometimes it's either the sticker price or the monthly payment. That's what we see. That's all we focus in on. But there are all sorts of other costs that are just as real as that price right there. You know, the insurance costs, the gas costs, the maintenance costs, like all of those aren't less real. It's not like, oh, I had to replace the tires or get an oil change, and that's fake money. But when I pay my monthly payment every month, that's real money. Like All of those are real costs. And when you start factoring all of those in, and you start to realize that with an electric vehicle, you're not getting oil changes, the electricity cost is far less. I mean, it's different everywhere. We have solar on our house, and we charge our cars 100% with solar. It's very feasible to do. Uh, But, you know, different states have It could be eight cents per kilowatt hour. It could be 15 cents a kilowatt hour. Like there's different costs there. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's usually a fraction, you know, 10, 20, 30% of the cost, maybe less than that now with high gas prices to charge an electric vehicle compared to filling up a gas car with gasoline. So huge savings from an energy standpoint. But there's other savings too. Like I was saying, just uh, the savings for maintenance uh, as well.
2: You know, one of the fears has always been, you know, that big, expensive battery that goes into EVs. I and mean, what 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 about what happens if something goes wrong with that? What about those?
0: Most of the EVs out there have pretty substantial battery warranty. So a lot of times it gets talked about. And then you actually, if you look into the, you know, fine print, and your battery has a 10-year warranty on it or something. So if something did actually happen, you're going to be covered under warranty. Also, the modern batteries today are... I mean, just light years ahead of where they were five to 10 years ago. And we don't know for sure because we can't like peer into the future or anything, but just based on the, the way they're operating right now and the degradation that it, we're seeing is very minimal. And so the suspicion is that the batteries today are going to last a really long time. And that probably wasn't the case 10 years ago, but I think we can be a lot more confident in batteries today and not think, oh, I'm going to have a car for 15 years and I'm going to have to replace the battery three times. Uh, you know, I can't make any guarantees for anyone, but I would think more than likely you'll probably have the standard battery just right the whole way
2: through until you sell the car. You know, if we're going to convert the fleet to all electric vehicles or even a significant portion of it, this seems like it'll take a fundamental shift in, you know, how we travel and how we get our fuel. And if if it's not, it's not all up to consumer. For example, I think of the electric charging station um near me on Sunset Boulevard and it's essentially collected to a light pole, but you can't park in the space overnight. And it's a slower charger. And you actually can't even park longer than an hour. So I've literally seen people getting a ticket while they're charging their car. And you're like, oh I mean, like that seems to be like a small example, but where is for instance, in this, you know, cities and states, where do they have to remove roadblocks for, you know, mass adoption
0: yeah and there's definitely policies that you, regulations that need to change
2: give me an example
0: you were bringing up there about having like street parking and having a charger on the street that there are and every municipality is probably different in this regard in terms of you know the regulations that are out there but yeah i've heard of situations where either you can't charge in those places you can't charge overnight you can't put uh because the way like utilities are registered if something if you're charging then you're considered a utility that's you know there's all sorts of kind of areas we get into that make things difficult and just making that a lot easier because it doesn't seem like a big stretch to say if it's a part of the country, it's a part of a city where people don't have garages, having people parking on the street and very easily be able to plug in while they're on the street overnight, that's a solvable problem. I mean that's just kind of tweaking some regulations potentially. And I'm sure there's a lot, I know there's companies out there that want to come in and they want to make parking meters that also have a charger attached to them. Like, there are companies that want to do this. And, you know, this doesn't take some new technology or some new innovation to make it happen. It just probably takes some slight tweaks to, you know, regulations in a lot of cities that are out there.
2: All right. So if that's with the cities and municipalities, what about, you know, the electric grid, which is already um, in jeopardy? Normal times, the the increase is at the end of the day when the sun is at the highest and everybody's got their AC on. But if we significantly shift to EVs, that means there's going to be a lot of a surge in charging overnight. What do the big utilities and the grid have to do to accept this, you know, these new cars?
0: In some ways, what you mentioned, you know, EVs are kind of a benefit. One of the nice things about an electric vehicle is you can pretty much charge any time of the day uh, based on wherever you are with the car. And most people will probably want to charge at night, which is when the grid is least taxed. That's usually when, you know, we've got that downslope there. And so you can kind of balance things out a little bit. And in many places, that's that's the optimum time. If you were going to add a lot more to the, you know, the grid there, that it could handle it. Now, additionally, and as we move forward and are implementing, you know, bringing in more, you know, renewable energy and solar and wind and adding batteries to the mix and this and that, uh, of course, there's going to be tweaks to the grid and the way in which we do things. But again, I think these are all very solvable problems. And as the grid gets smarter and we can, like I said, choose when certain things are charging, and you could even. Like I said, look at this as a benefit is you could have times of the day where the grid is overproducing and you're charging all those electric vehicles. Everyone has, say, an electric vehicle in their garage or parked at work and it's plugged in. And then, like we've seen in Texas recently or elsewhere, that there is a need. All of a sudden, it's incredibly hot and the grid is just taxed and we're thinking there could be blackouts. Well, if you have bi-directional where that means that the EV could actually send power back to the grid. So now you have a situation where it's actually a benefit that the EVs are there because in addition to charging, they can now help the grid out by sending electricity back to the grid when needed. And this is technology that exists. This isn't science fiction. You could have a scenario that's not you know, a burden. It's actually a benefit.
2: We'll be right back.
1: Price and coverage match, limited by state law.
2: There are a bunch of goalposts around the globe um, for getting to uh, say eliminate the gas car, going to all EVs. Where does the car companies or, or, or states twenty thirty seems to be is is one of those places that that is a big goal of getting you know whether it's in California or across the country getting us converted. What are the challenges? that we face. And I wonder, because of this bill that we talked about, what are the political challenges in the way that are to keep us from mass adoption?
0: Uh, I, I think one political challenge, some this can be polarization. And my hope is, and there's been a little bit of this, but hopefully don't go too far down this path that EVs become polarizing and people don't want to buy one, even if it's the perfect car for them just because it's not what they are finding politically palatable. Uh, so hopefully everyone can just be on board with getting a, EV, but beyond that, making sure, I, I think infrastructure within the cities uh, is something that we really need to focus on politically in that if you have a garage, you're pretty much set. A lot of people don't realize it, but if you have an outlet, you can plug in. Uh, and if you don't have an outlet, if you don't have a garage, that's trickier. And we want to have charging in on streets. We want to have it at workplaces. Uh, we want to have it at restaurants. We want to have it at parks. We don't need these fancy, high-powered chargers everywhere. It's great to have them on, on you know, road trips, but just having making charging as ubiquitous as possible and where you can charge anywhere, you know, the standard wall outlets aren't extremely expensive. So just put them everywhere.
2: More than a decade ago, I remember almost getting run over by, you know, the late Senator John McCain's silent uh, hybrid electric car, and he made a point of having one. How does the politics of evs change here in the u.s you know it's one of those
0: things that kind of started out as being pretty bipartisan i think it trended blue for a while where that was almost a you know a signifier you got your electric vehicle you're driving around and people might feel like they were pretty confident in what your politics were i think it's coming back towards the center a little bit and maybe that's me being naive and just you know wishful thinking but i i do think that is happening and, and part of that is just as it gets more and more into the mainstream but I am worried, and you know, circling back to something like that North Carolina law, that the intent of that could be to try to then push it back, where it does become more politicized and be more of a signifier and something that people will go to the restaurant and they will look at the receipt and say, "Oh, those darn EVs are costing me money and making my meal more expensive. I don't like them." And it becomes like, you know, different groups of people. You're a gas person. You're an electric person. Uh, you're, you know, this party. You're that party.
2: What's interesting is that if you're, if you're wanting an electric vehicle, there are hundreds of them that will come on board in the years to come. But one of the problems that we've seen, for instance, with delays with the car industry this year has been, have been supply chain issues. And it seems like that has slowed uh, progress for many automakers. How big of a setback has this supply chain crisis been for the near future of? you know the electric pickup truck or electric cars in general
0: you're seeing it with all cars across the board i mean and that's the only thing is it's not exclusive to electric vehicles i mean it's just i drive by some car dealerships frequently and it's kind of odd to look at them and they're pretty barren in contrast to years ago every single spot in that giant parking lot was full of cars and now they're like half full or quarter full which is odd to see And so if you're trying to speed up the adoption of something and you are then limiting the number of those that can actually get to market, that's going to slow that down. And it's an unfortunate timing for it because I do feel like we are at a point right now where you're seeing so many more, like you said, come onto the market. And we should be seeing that real kind of exponential growth. And we're seeing a lot of growth, but I think it would be higher if people could get the cars that they want. And especially with higher gas prices, people want electric vehicles right now, but there's a lot of people that want them and can't get them.
2: All right, I have two sisters. One's thirty five. One is fifty seven. Uh-huh. They're both in the market for new vehicles. They've even thought about test driving EVs. I mean, they're they're very hesitant about it. Um, what do you say to people like that who are hesitant? Who who hear all of this and they're like, uh, "That's fine. I'll I'll I'm going to keep with my manual transmission." What do you say to those folks?
0: I mean, first off, it's a totally normal and understandable sentiment. I mean, we are comfortable with what we're familiar with, and it's you know we've all grown up with going to gas stations, and that is just the normal. That is the paradigm that has existed since we were you know kids and before that. And I will say though that once you switch to an EV, there's I can never imagine going back. I the closest kind of like analog I can think of is uh, an, an iPhone or a smartphone. I would rather switch back to a flip phone than I would switch back to a a gas car because you get used to those conveniences. So, so someone who hasn't maybe, you know, driven one for a week or a month or is just kind of they know a little bit about it but uh, haven't really experienced it in full yet. When you start driving one and you don't have to, it's really actually annoying to stop once a week and go to a gas station. We just have grown up with it and it's a normal thing, but. I mean, think back to other technologies that have changed and once upon a time seemed normal. Once We used to have to get up every time we wanted to change the channel. And that was fine. You know, that was just normal. But now that we have remotes, going back to getting up seems really annoying. Uh, or dial-up internet. I remember anybody lived through the 90s. Like, you know, who's on the phone? You got the dial-up. There's, I wouldn't even try to imitate the noise it makes, but uh, that was fine. It worked. I've usually used the example of like a TV. If Someone said there's a new TV coming out, but an iPhone works perfectly too. And you're like, it works really well. It's a good deal. But you got to once a week, bring it to someplace, fill it up with this kind of nasty fluid and then bring it home. You'd be like, you're crazy. I'm not going to do that. And the reason is that we are used to plugging it in and it's normal for cars because we're used to doing the opposite. And as soon as you flip that, going back seems crazy.
2: Thanks for taking the time to talk to me today, Ryan. Hey, it was great talking to you. That's it for the show today. TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Joanne Levine. Joanne Levine is also the executive producer for What Next. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. I'm Sonari Glinton. Thanks for listening.
1: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's
2: the weirdest place you've gotten lucky.
1: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, uh-huh, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do.